Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast. A selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charities lead at London Marathon Events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do More Good Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. All right, here we are, James, back again for another Do More Good episode. It's episode number 78 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm living my best life. What a week. I'm going away this weekend. Dartmouth, no kids. What? The whole weekend. A bit of paddleboarding pubs there are dinners booked cocktail bars the lot i'm so excited i'm back just you and the wife just me and the wife and a couple of mates yeah or is, is it the girlfriend yeah. uh it's the wife this week yes it's the wife <laughs> this week yes how about you how are you yeah i'm all i'm all good it's it's coming home isn't it well at the time of recording it's still coming home by the time we release this it you know you better clear some space in your cupboards because we'll have it home so. hopefully yeah. yeah no i'm i'm good i've been a bit enjoying that enjoying the last few weeks of football and just you know there's plus sides and downsides isn't there to kind of life returning to a bit of normal we were just talking about it before we got started like just the life is just hectic again there's just so many things and so many kids clubs to go to and and things like that but look lots of positives after the the last 18 months so yeah I'm really good but we wanted to start off just before we get into today's brilliant and amazing guest, who was actually a suggestion from Claire, who we've been working with on our social stuff over the last few months, about people that you've met during your life that have maybe changed your perspective or, or changed the route that you've followed. And I know yeah. we spoke a little bit about this and you've got someone in mind. Yeah, mine is really easy, as will become clear. So mine is a girl called Ellis, who is my friend's little sister, and when we were younger, she had she was diagnosed with bone cancer uh, when she was a teenager. And this was during the time when I was in my 20s. I was working in a design agency in Old Street. I was the wolf of Paul Street at the time. Like, it was amazing. Good times. And we started doing some fundraising. We ran a couple of marathons as a, like, a group of friends and stuff. And we held some balls and organized some cycling events to kind of raise money for the charities that were supporting her and her family. And I would go in and see Ellis in hospital. Uh, during her treatment she was in for kind of six weeks at a time and I met someone while I was there very romantic the children's cancer ward let me tell you the soft lighting you know the mood music there and uh, in, in the style of a kind of radio late night phone in I ended up marrying her and then just after I proposed actually I went back into this trendy design agency and they made me redundant the day after I'd signed up to the most expensive day of your life uh, I got made redundant and then that's what kind of kick-started my fundraising career as well so all the fundraising we've done, my kind of a friend of mine said, don't get back into that. You're shit at that. Don't do that anymore. Go and do the fundraising stuff that you really love and you really enjoy. So that kind of set up my fundraising career as well. My wife now runs the charity that supported Ellis, her and her family. And very tragically, Ellis died not long after her 16th birthday. But for me, like meeting her completely had a like a massive, profound impact on my life. 
Uh, and most importantly, Kenneth, without her, you would be doing this podcast with somebody else. Oh, I know. It's a strange that? thought. That's a nice story, though. Really nice story. Mine isn't quite as deep as that. And it was actually someone who I only met for a very short time. So after university, my wife and I went away traveling for a year and we were traveling around Southeast Asia and we were on the island in Thailand called Koh Samet, I think, which is about an hour south of Bangkok. And we just got chatting to this couple on the beach one night. And this guy was called Thomas. He was a German guy. He was married to an Australian girl. I can't remember her name, actually. But we ended up being on this island with them for a couple of days and just chilling and hanging out. And I just remembered this guy's philosophy for life. And like it stick, like when we were talking about talking about this on the podcast, he is one person that I think I met that just taught me just things about I think just having empathy, had a really kind of Zen type view of life. He talked all about the quality of life. And it was just the conversations over those couple of days. And we never, we never kept in touch. We never, we, we didn't talk after that. It was a very fleeting time to spend with him, but he sticks in my life. And that was like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And it's just wow. funny, isn't it? Those people that you just meet at certain points that just change the, the direction slightly of that path that we're all on. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but we'll come probably well, come he's, on to... He's probably listening. He's well, he probably is. I mean, I'm yeah. sure he would tell the exact same story about me to to <laughs> about all this of drunk this. bloke on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. But look, we've 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 rabbled along enough. Let's let's get on and introduce our, our brilliant guest, James. Do you want to do you want to crack on with it? Yep. I'll go with the intro. So our guest this week is an award-winning mental health campaigner, film producer, public speaker, writer, and vlogger. At the age of 20, he was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar, and later began making films on YouTube about the condition that have been watched by millions of people. He now speaks publicly about living with mental illness and has written articles and given various interviews on TV, radio, in print, all around the world to help educate and break stigma. He's also produced and presented documentaries on BBC Three and Channel Four and now, you know, starring on the Do More Good podcast, three big names on the subject of mental health and suicide. His 2014 social media campaign with Rethink Mental Illness to find Mike, the man who talked him out of jumping off a bridge when he was suicidal, went viral and led to our guest becoming a prominent spokesperson on the subject of suicide. In 2016, he launched ThinkWell a mental health programme for schools, which has been into secondary schools across the UK with huge success. He spent 2017 writing the first of two books on mental health. Then in 2018, he launched his new youth mental health charity, Beyond. And the charity is a grant-giving organisation that aims to provide mental health support to young people, their families and teachers. It's being led by a youth board who, together with our guest, created the UK's first mental health festival for schools and colleges in 2021. And as Kenneth mentioned, best of all, when we asked Claire, our new social media guru, who her dream guest would be, she chose this man. So we are very pleased to welcome Johnny Benjamin to the Do More Good podcast. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I was really enjoying it. just listening to you both. I was... I could just listen to you both chat all night, to be honest. <laughs> don't oh, want to do that, Johnny. It's, yeah. it's not. <laughs> no, but I mean, no, really fascinating what you were, what you were saying. Yeah, really, really. Listen, you, it's not you. We're not usually as deep as that. Usually, Kenneth kind of just takes the piss out of my hair or something, you know. But uh, today, <laughs> I like, I like your hair. I like <laughs> Thank that. you very much. Thank you. Oh no, we'll never live that one down. <laughs> uh, 
Johnny, thank you so much for, for joining us. We look, as, as James mentioned, you know, dream guest for Claire, but dream guest for us. I think James and I have both had the pleasure of, of seeing you speak at events previously. So when the suggestion came forward, we were like, yes, we must do. And we know how busy you must be with so many things going on. So really appreciate you giving up a, an hour of your time. Before we kind of get into to some of the questions, you know, I guess we'd just like to start off after everything we know and, and obviously your work in mental health. How has the last 18 months been for you personally? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I mean, gosh, it's been a roller coaster. I think I can maybe speak for most people when I say that, you know, what a roller coaster of a, of a year and a half. Gosh, wow. It's really been full of ups and downs. For me, it got actually, it got quite bad with my, with my mental health in September of 2020. I had a, a a relapse and I was back in hospital which was hard because of all the COVID restrictions so yeah that was tricky and then I took the rest of 2020 off to recover but 2021 has been has been okay it's been not too bad thankfully I know it's been such a tough tough time particularly the winter lockdown I think was I know for so many people it was really really hard understandably and even now I think it's a tricky time for a lot of people a lot of people I know yeah, been finding it really tough. So, yeah, an interesting year and a half. Kind of announcements over the last couple of days about things opening up and potentially going back to normal, but yet cases rising. How are you feeling about about that over the next couple of months? Mm, I'm trying to keep away, I think, from uh, too much media, social media, because otherwise it can be really overwhelming, I think. I've realised that during the pandemic. Particularly, particularly social media, I think everyone's got their opinions and they're not afraid to voice them. And some of them can be really challenging. And uh, I actually, I left Twitter just a few weeks ago because it was just, it's just not good for my mental health, to be honest. It really isn't. Uh, obviously, my charity still has to sort of, you know, be part of social media charity. You have to. But I myself, I took myself away because it just, it can be really, really tough. I think yeah. everyone's, everyone has got their opinions and if you don't agree with their opinions you can get into so many conflicts and it's just it's not good for me it's not good it's, it's funny you say that because I, I go out on a Sunday morning on a bike mainly so that I can just dress in lycra that's the main thing I enjoy but also because a bit of exercise you know I quite enjoy going out me and me and another guy were out and this was a couple of weeks ago and he, we talked a bit about social because we were obviously taking it far too easy and he said I just I just turned it off a year ago and I'm so much happier and about two weeks ago, I thought, well, I'll give that a go. And I haven't really looked at anything. I mean, I, I, I must admit, I still look at a bit of Instagram, from, but I've turned off Twitter pretty much. And I have felt happier. I can yeah. report the last couple of weeks. I haven't kind of... Mm. And also, I just go to bed earlier as well. So I'm not there just scrolling <laughs> through it. So interesting, isn't it? It's so, yeah. Mm. I mean, that could be a whole episode in itself. Can it, it could. Yeah, and we we did one, we did an episode, didn't we? Maybe uh, can you remember? But it was about that. It was about that subject, particularly from a charity perspective, and you know the amount of abuse they were getting at the time. And I mean, we've seen it. I think this week, R and have taken a lot of flack. But I mean, similar to you guys, I mean, speaking a lot to to friends and my wife about just positivity. I just want to be surrounding myself with more positivity because I feel like my resistance has just dropped over the, the, the yeah. past year in terms of if there's too much negativity, I just get end up in a, in a, in a fluster and, and, and panic and I need those those energizers to come in. So, yeah, as you say, Johnny, it's certain, certainly been a, a tough year for, for many. And I, and I also think it's something that may, maybe, Johnny, you'd have a view on this. 
it's kind of not necessarily been talked about yet either the the kind of impact on the on the mental health of the UK generally I mean I know again from my experience I've probably had more conversations about people's mental health over the last year and a half than I ever have before and I just hope that out of this something positive comes are you seeing seeing that from your work that you're doing or Mm, well I mean the government yes they've talked about mental health they mentioned it but yet there's a lot of work that needs to be done it's charities that usually have to do the work, pick up the pieces, particularly, yeah, mental health charities, I'd say at the moment, it's, it's, a, it's a tough time. It's yeah. a really tough time. It is. So, Johnny, if you don't mind, we'd like to just go back to, to, to your diagnosis and your illness and, and that led to your attempted suicide d- during your early 20s. I mean, I heard, yeah. I think you mentioned in a, another podcast interview that I'd, I'd listened that you'd given that you first noticed something when you were relatively young I think you mentioned the age four at the time can you just tell us about maybe some of your earliest memories and and your experience running up to that day on Waterloo Bridge yeah yeah absolutely I was I was really young and uh I guess I well I I guess maybe my parents first noticed Mm. that something wasn't right rather than I was probably too young to well I was too young to understand it really but my parents obviously noticed you know, changes in my behavior. I wasn't sleeping and I was becoming very anxious and isolated. And and they ended up taking me to a psychologist who I saw for a little bit. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get any of what was going on. I didn't, no one talked about mental health when I was growing up, you know, at school, I went to college, I went to university and it was never, ever discussed. So I just thought I was kind of a bit crazy, to be honest. And ultimately that led to me you know, suppressing most of what was going on and me suppressing it led to a breakdown and a, this diagnosis that I got, which schizoaffective disorder, as you mentioned, which I, yeah, I got that diagnosis at 20 and that was really, really uh, hard um, getting that diagnosis uh, and being put into a psychiatric hospital and having to drop out of uni and, um, and that ultimately led me to giving up that that diagnosis that experience I really didn't believe I was going to get better I really didn't see a I really didn't see a future I was also struggling with my sexuality which was a big part of it and I come from a Jewish background you know grew up in a Jewish community went to a Jewish school and being gay is not exactly well it wasn't welcomed back then so I just really didn't see any future for me with this with this illness and with this kind of struggle with my sexuality so yeah for me I mean I just I got to the point where well the, you know the only way out was not to be here anymore and that led me to running away from the hospital and yeah ending up on this on this bridge unfortunately and I guess at that at that time maybe is that slightly different to, to now that people weren't talking about mental health in the same way as we perhaps we are now I mean it feels like to me it feels like we we are a bit more open about that Kenneth and I talk about stuff from time to time and at the time that you're talking about Mm. trying to remember back I don't think we were having conversations like that so to have had a diagnosis actually would have been quite rare to to talk about that Mm -hmm. especially the diagnosis that I got this 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 schizoaffective disorder people were talking a bit about depression and anxiety not as much as now but at least I don't know they were there was doc- a few documentaries on tv back then you know depression and anxiety but things like schizophrenia I mean I just kind of when I got that diagnosis I just 
I don't know. I was, I was really shocked. And my family, my friends were really shocked as well. I just, I did not expect or understand or, yeah, I was, and, and again, this is something, you know, within mental health, people are just often given a diagnosis and very little explanation, very little hope. I just think if I would have, if I would have been given some more, and my family would have been given some more information and education and hope, ultimately hope, it would have been different, maybe. You talk about your parents kind of talking about things from when you were very young. How was it for them? Did you presumably there were conversations that you had one after diagnosis and, and, and religion as well coming into it? And mm, uh, really awkward. It was very, very difficult. Things are different now. So I'm 34 now. So this was like almost 15 years ago. Mm. And so, yeah, luckily, yeah, things have moved on for, for not just for society, but for me, for my family, for my friends. We do talk. But back then it was just so awkward. It was just so awkward. It was so, it was so tough. It was only actually interestingly. So my dad, a few years ago, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, thankfully, he's doing okay. Um, but when he got di- his diagnosis, you know, he started. He's. I mean, he's a very. Uh, he was always a very quite conservative, traditional alpha male. But when he got his diagnosis, he started to actually open up about how it affected him emotionally, the treatment. And that is when, yeah, we kind of saw a shift because we were like, if you can talk about all of that stuff, well, you know, I should be able to talk about all of my stuff. So interestingly, that kind of brought us closer together. And, and yeah, so now things are really different, uh, but it took time. I have to say it wasn't just, a, you know, it took years probably to get confident. You know, we're not given the emotional literacy that we need, I think, growing up. Mm-hmm. And, and my parents, you know, they're in their 70s. And so they definitely didn't grow up with any mental health education at all. It wasn't easy. I've got to be, I've, you know, I've got to say it, it wasn't easy, but we got there. And, you know, I think if, if we can do it, then, you know, any family can. But yeah, it, it takes time. I just want to pick up on that, that point you mentioned there about hope, Johnny, because I remember the, the other interview I was listening to, and it was a really nice part of the story where I think you spoke about one of the nurses who was the first person to kind of really give you hope that there was a future beyond where your mind was saying you were at at the moment and I guess Mike was also part of that story of hope can you just talk a little bit more about that Mm, yeah yeah so this was this was the guy that came along on the bridge stood next to me stopped to talk to me and just gave me a different perspective on on everything he was so just so sort of calm and grounded and really positive really positive uh, even though I was obviously in a really sort of desperate state you know standing on the edge of that bridge he was just able to I don't know kind of pull me in a bit to his kind of world that he was in which which was really like yeah as easy and I think you know it helped him being a young guy maybe because I felt able to relate to him maybe a bit more I also think as well, it was the way that he just listened. So, you know, in the hospital, I've been in this hospital for a month and I was on what they called the suicide ward, which, you know, is not great at all. It's just people that people will come and sit and watch you to just, you know, keep you safe, but they won't often talk. They'll just sit and they'll watch. And I don't know, it's really mm, kind of dehumanizing. But there was something different about this guy. He just, we would have we I don't know it was really human quite simple interaction but I hadn't had that interaction for such a long time and 
it was a really I'm I'm obviously so lucky that he came along and it's kind of like a bit of a sliding doors moment because you know if he hadn't well yeah if he hadn't been there at that time and who knows who knows really but I'm just yeah I'm really lucky that he it was him that you know came along stopped talked to me managed to get me off the edge managed to convince me to go for a coffee um and he didn't have any you know the thing that I always say he didn't have any training expertise so you know if he can do it then yeah again anyone can do it you know yeah it's interesting you talk about that campaign that led afterwards if you if you mm-hmm. trying to trying to find him and we say that actually mental health wasn't really discussed it wasn't it wasn't a topic of conversation not necessarily between friends or or on the wider kind of media sphere if you like but something caught with that like it really people were interested people were really kind of following that story and promoting that story and um it captured the imagination of the public so there was something there there was definitely you know it was bubbling under everyone was feeling it and then related to that to that story what are your kind of recollections and memories of that that campaign in that time it's such a funny one because so you know this so so six years have passed from that day on the bridge and I'd, I'd started working at a mental health charity called Rethink Mental Illness, and I became an ambassador for them. And it was just, it all happened so, well, do you know what? It all happened so organically, which is really nice. Like I told them my story, you know, everything that happened to me and going to the bridge and this guy coming along. And they said, well, you know, why don't we try and find him? And I don't know. I just thought, well, it's, it's, it just felt impossible because six years have passed and you know, the world is such a big place and he could be anywhere. I didn't have his details. I didn't, wasn't hundred percent sure of his name, which was a problem, but they, it, I don't know. It was, they were just so, they really believed in it. The, the charity, they really believed in the, the opportunity to talk about this difficult subject. And so we, you know, they just, they really, it all happened really organically and quickly. And they just, there wasn't any, other agency involved it was just the charity just a tweet just the and yeah off it went it was really when I look back it was quite something I guess it went viral the tweet and started trending around the world me looking for this guy and messages in from all over the globe yeah really extraordinary I think you know it was because it was launched six years to the day that I'd met the guy it was January it was you know January's a tough month I think people just were maybe inspired by the story mm. and wanted to help find this guy. And uh, yeah, really hopeful message. I think people, people seem to really appreciate that. Yeah. And it's kind of, just thinking back at you talking there, Johnny, um, it was the kind of first time where maybe we'd seen in the public spotlight, the story of a good Samaritan and actually having an interaction that had a positive outcome. And of course, since then that kind of, rhetoric or that kind of message has become a key part of campaigns from the Samaritans being one who I previously volunteered for you know I knew how much they talked about just having that conversation and providing that listening ear and it felt that that campaign was almost a springboard for for that what were the what the months and years after that campaign How, how did your life change after after that went so public and so big well I mean I think because ultimately we found him that was the thing you know when we launched the campaign myself the charity you know we we weren't sure we were going to find him it was really as I said we didn't know he could be anywhere and um, he might not see it of course but the amazing thing is through 
you know, the power of social media, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, that's this is it. Yeah. Through the power of Facebook, you know, got shared by a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend and eventually ended up on his wife's Facebook feed. And, you know, she obviously told Neil, not Mike, which is, you know, uh, his real name. I got his name wrong, which again... And yeah, obviously Neil saw it and got in touch and we were reunited and everything was filmed for this Channel 4 documentary. And it just, it, it was really positive. It was really, yeah, quite an amazing story. And the fact was Neil then said, well, uh, what can I do to get involved and help? And we then started to work together. And yeah, I mean, it's been a really extraordinary kind of journey, I have to say, in the past well, that was 2014, so seven years now. Been a really extraordinary seven years journey, you know, running marathons together and setting up charity together. Yeah, really. I, don't get me wrong, there's been some challenges, you know, along the way with, with my own mental health. I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say everything was, because I think sometimes in the media, I've done lots of interviews where they kind of want to wrap it up in a bow and say, well, that's, you know, it's great, isn't it? A happy ending. And I'm like, <laughs> well, Yes and no, because, you know, it's also been challenging and not just for me, but for him, it, you know, he's thrust into the, you know, he didn't have any background in mental health and he was suddenly thrust into this mental health world. And it was quite overwhelming for him as, as well, you know, coming from personal training world and suddenly being thrust into this new light. And and people keep calling him Mike. Well, we, we laugh at that now. He's got a very good sense of humour, thankfully. Thankfully, he took that really well. Thank yeah, no, that's, I th- but I think that it's a little bit more authentic anyway. Like no. you're, you're not going to remember the guys. The guys, I barely remember the names of my children. So God, well done for getting <laughs> somewhere close. But I did want to touch on, and I think you t- you just mentioned it a little bit there. When you very first started that campaign, you had no idea whether you would be able to tie the bow around it at the end, and you know it would come, you know, to become a such a wonderful story. Did it feel? Did you? You must have felt nervous about going back out there and revisiting it and talking about it. And the, presumably, the charity were also really careful with you and it's bold to have gone back out there and thrown yourself into that and uh kind of lay it all out there to try and find this guy the charity were really great I've got to say I mean actually on the third or fourth day after launching it I was like I can't do this Uh, I had a really difficult interview with um well a few difficult interviews with the meet I was doing a lot of media like local radio stations local papers and some of the questions I was being asked were like like um, like there was one journalist who you know I don't know kind of well took me back to the bridge and made me go into really kind of quite uh strong detail which was a bit triggering actually and then yeah so I remember saying to the charity I can't do this anymore and they were great they said okay we'll 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 stop the campaign if you want we'll you know and and I really that really helped me because I was worried they were going to say well no we've, we've launched this now we've got to find him but they were so honestly they were so good good with me and that really helped me that really helped me a just lot. having that control over it I guess that you can still turn it off that it hasn't you know it's not a runaway train that, that you're on that you can switch it off at any time and walk away yeah and ha- just having there was a lot of support around me at the charity that made such a difference and you know we always say now whenever you're working with the media or you know with j- journalists can sometimes you know when it comes to mental health maybe ask some difficult questions so yeah, I always say to people that are working within the media, you know, have someone from a charity with you, around you, because, yeah, can be quite can be quite tough. And the charities, for me, in my experience, have always been so supportive, so supportive. Yeah. 
It's Kenneth's turn to get the drinks in this week, so I'm going to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod. Or if you're a professional business person, you can find us on LinkedIn too. There's a website, domoregood.uk, packed full with episodes, blog posts, details of the team, and a link to the newsletter for your VIP content. Coming back, two pina coladas and a lager for me. Johnny, I'm just interested as you're talking then, and obviously we, we talked a little bit at the start about where your career or life has gone on since that, and, and obviously the documentary, uh, and your, since your campaigning work and setting up the charity. What was the, what was the plan when you were younger, or was there a plan, or was there a dream of where your career and life would go? Did you have aspirations to be a, a vet or a, mm-hmm. a, a director or, or, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I always wanted to go into the arts, to be honest. Did you? And it's something that I'm still really passionate about because there's a link between creativity and, uh, you know, mental health struggles, whatever you want to call it. A lot of, you know, so many artists out there do have their own challenges and and that's, you know, I think that's well documented. So, yeah, I really wanted to go into the arts and that's something still that I'd like to pursue a bit more within my charity. Now, we, we are supporting a lot of kind of creative therapies for young people because we, you know, as we know, the traditional form of therapy doesn't work for everyone. So looking outside the box, something that we're, we're trying to do, really didn't expect, obviously, to go into, particularly when I was struggling with my mental health, I never would have dreamed of going and having, you know, I couldn't talk. I could not even say the word mental health. It was too embarrassing. This was what, yeah, 15 years ago, I just, the thought of saying the word mental health or schizophrenia, depression, I just couldn't. So now to be working in it is, yeah, you just, you just never know, do you? Just adapt and get on with it and, and, and see where it takes you. And I, I mean, media career, you know, speaking in front of large audiences, MBE, I mean, some of the accolades, I can imagine it just must have felt like a bit of a roller coaster, has it? Uh, yeah, it has. And there was, there's been a, a number of kind of blips mm. in my mental health along the way. So, I mean, like when I got the MBE, I was in hospital thankfully I managed to get out just in time to collect the MBE but and just before the marathon again I was in hospital it was a different time was it different? yeah it was a different time I think anyway uh, yeah and again I was like I'm not going to make the marathon and it's been touch and go at times to be honest it's definitely not been plain sailing for sure but that's part of the the journey I guess you know I feel lucky that I'm able to talk a lot of people I meet along the way still feel they can't be honest with family members, friends, the workplace. I can be honest with everyone around me and say, if I'm struggling, I need to take time off. And I feel really privileged to be able to do that because I know it's not easy. It's not like that for everyone. Can I just, sorry, James, just on that that point, I I spoke to James and this is just a bit bit of an overshare maybe from me, but I had a, a day on Friday last week where it was just one of those days that I haven't had ever, I don't think, where it was just, Woke up in the morning, bit of a discussion argument with the children, my wife, mm. upset, you know, in bed for the whole day. And I just couldn't get out. And I know that that's been taught and I've heard that kind of mentioned before and I never thought it would be me. And I was just, that was me. I was in bed. And I was thinking to myself about talking about it at work and with my colleagues and, and, and my team. And I was like, I felt like I wanted to be honest because I think that's the conversations were supposed to be. And like even mentioning it now, it feels a little bit, awkward but I want to mention it because mm. people will think oh I'm probably confident you know got this podcast you know I'm quite a, mm. a little bit of an outgoing character in the office and that kind of thing but that was just a day where I was just like 
I can't do it. I can't work. And I think that honesty is just something I'm trying to get better at. I'm sure we're all trying to get better at. And we just need to try and support others to, to be that way as well. Yeah, sorry, went off on a bit of a bit there. No, no, at all. No, thank you for sharing. And I think it's really important. And I think, you know, compare it to physical health. If you woke up on Friday, last Friday, with a bad back, really, you can get out of bed. No doubt you would have, you know, you just would have been like, right, I need to stay in bed for today. I need to heal my back or whatever it is, physical injury. And, you know, there wouldn't be any, so people just get it. Oh, yeah, you you got a bad back or you got a, bad cold yeah yeah we get it but there is still that stigma isn't there when it comes mm. to mental health but we're getting there the fact that you could just say that maybe even five ten years ago you wouldn't have maybe said that out loud mm. so that's great i think it's i think it's progress right mm. yeah 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 certainly um so we'd like to talk about the charity mm. i mean i love i love the website love the design it just kind of exudes youthful creativity uh, you know there's some great stuff in there great content how did that come about and, and how did it all start? Mm-hmm. So that was that was 2018. And, um, well, you know, myself and Neil, we, we travelled around uh, the UK giving talks. And, you know, we used to go and visit various charities, organisations. And every time we, we heard the same thing, we, we can't get funding. We've lost our funding, you know. And we just said to ourselves, well, what can we do? You know, sometimes we'd give talks and people would literally, they'd be moved and people would come up to us and just give us money. And be like, we just want to give something to mental health and just, here you go. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, we'll, we'll give it to Rethink, we'll give it to... But we said, well, why don't we start a charity where we can take that money and actually give it to the people that we want to? You know, as I said, so many amazing mental health initiatives, charities, these that we wanted wanted to support so we set up the charity beyond in 2018 and it's i'm I, i'm gonna be honest it, it got off to a bit of a, a a rocky start we we had a massive board we just myself and neil you know we had no experience in charity and we just said we want that person that person that person or because we're again very lucky we've met so many incredible people over the years and we wanted them all to be on our board and so we literally <laughs> thinking that it would you know the, the bigger the board the better that's what we that's what we thought and well yeah I mean you know we had incredible people the most incredible people around the table but we never got anywhere because everyone <laughs> had their own we should do this we should do that we should do this we should do that and to know we just seemed to go around in circles for, for quite a while and there was conflict and there was you know a bit of tension and it it took it, it took time it really took time to sort of don't know find our, our feet I'd say it was only actually when so as you mentioned we have a youth board and it was only really when we got the youth boards my thing was always like we need if it's a youth mental health charity we need young people to be at the heart of it and mm. not us old people around the board table just not agreeing things we need young people and as soon as we created this youth board everything changed like you know they came in with their energy and their passion and they've all you know We've got young people from the age of 10 up to the age of, you know, early 30s. And everyone's just got their own lived experience and their own passion and ideas. And yeah, that that sort of changed everything. And it, it gave the charity new life, I'd say. And everything just seemed to fall into place when that happens, really interestingly. 
Nice. nice. It reminds me, Kenneth, um, of our chat with Camden Giving the other day, where actually you get the beneficiaries as your stakeholder, the kind of stakeholders involved in the decision making. And also kids haven't been worn down by years of, you know, right. finding their groove or their rut or wherever it is that they end up in and making the same decisions. And actually, they're just passionately about or, or passionate rather about driving things forward. Yeah. Oh, sim- yeah. Sim- sorry. Similar to that. I was just thinking about also we had on was it Alice Rapp who talked about being on the young trustees? trustees? Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a movement to get younger people as trustees on charities, because as you touched on Johnny, I mean, no, you know, it might be stereotypical, but a lot of charity boards are made up of old white men in suits that have no diversity and, and have had their career and their motivations are questionable about why they're there and have they got the energy and drive. So, you know, it's another great movement I'd like to see more of. hundred percent, particularly when it comes to something like mental health, you know, I, I'm 34 now and sorry, there's an ice cream van. Can you hear that? I love, a I love a Cornetto. <laughs> <laughs> right, wait there. Um, yeah, I'm 34 now. And when I go into schools, you know, young people, teenagers today, they teach me so much about their what because mental health, like things like language is so important. And language has changed and it changes all the time when it comes to mental health, the way that young people describe their experiences and you know what helps them and so therefore we need young people because they're the ones that as you say they're the beneficiaries so they need to be the ones who are sitting on the board making the decisions telling us what's needed not us old white middle-aged men Uh, it just doesn't work so going back to what you said whenever I have a bad day or I don't know I feel I can't find any motivation. I just talked to one of the young people on our board and they'll be like, because they they do, they've got so much ambition and drive and they haven't been worn down by the world and um, being an adult. And they've always got such, yeah, passion and just feel always, always inspired by, I'd say to any organisation that have a youth board, they will keep you going forwards. And your, your point there about language as well is really key. And we mentioned earlier about how if you had a bad back, you would be able to describe that and people would relate to that and understand it. Whereas we don't seem to have the language. How would you just des- how do you describe something mental? How do you go about this is how I feel? It's, we don't have the words yet for that, how to really properly do that. So, no. But interestingly, because we do a lot of work in schools and we're seeing schools maybe you know particularly primary schools they, they are trying to do do things around well-being getting kids used to thinking about their well-being so for example a number of schools we work with are doing things like you know every day the kids will come into class and they'll have a little token and they'll drop their token in a different jar or pot one of the jars will be like angry alligator the other one will be like happy hippo or like jealous I don't know, Jaguar. And so they'll drop their... I don't keep know. going, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll drop their token or their whatever it is into the teacher will then see, oh, so, I don't know, so-and-so has been angry for quite a few days. What's what's going on there? And they'll be able to talk to the young person about, yeah, yeah. you know, and identify those feelings and not be embarrassed by those feelings. And we're seeing, again, hopefully a bit of a shift in the way that we talk about mental health with, with young people which is really positive again. And even just acknowledging it. Sometimes all you need to say is, I'm just angry today. I'm just, I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm I'm feeling like this. I'm I'm sad or, you know, whatever it might be. Or sometimes just acknowledging that you feel that way can be the the first step towards actually. And and, and hopefully talking about it, expressing it, uh, not shying away from it, which is, and if we get in there early enough with it, if we get rid of the, the shame and the embarrassment, 
you know, early on uh, prevention, prevention, early intervention. That's what we're we're talking. Well, you about. talked about your, your parents had had decades of not talking about mental health. So actually, then to change that is, is hard. Mm. To then open up and have those conversations is going to be really difficult. Exactly. But yeah, we work on the next generation and, and make them more comfortable about having being jealous. Jaguars is okay. so johnny what's the what's the plan with the charity at the moment are are you involved daily does it keep keep you very busy yeah what's the plans for the 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 near and the far future is have you got any yeah yeah oh always always (laughs) with the youth board they've got loads of different projects ideas that we are working with them on so for example you know going back to what you said about taking absence from the workplace some of the youth board are working on a a project looking at mental health absences in schools, which is really interesting. Being allowed to take mental health days from schools and what that means and how we can work on that. And then another group is looking at suicide bereavement. A number of our youth board have been bereaved by suicide. Unfortunately, their parents uh, took their own lives. And when they were at school and their parents uh, unfortunately lost their lives, grief wasn't talked about. The fact it was suicide bereavement was definitely not talked about. And there was a lot of oh awkwardness and shame and so we're trying to again look at how we change the education around around grief particularly around grief from suicide bereavement which I think is so important at the moment we, we so we're grant giving and we've given grants to a number of different organizations but now we're giving grants directly to schools in the wake of the pandemic schools are saying to us we desperately need support we need help we need just someone to come in and, and, and do this with our with our youngsters or our teachers even and so we're able to give grants directly to schools so they can provide that support for their students for their teachers but there's a lot of uh, a lot of need out there right now as you can imagine and waiting lists for things like cams the child and adolescent mental health services at an all-time high and yeah we're desperately trying to fundraise we're trying to actually fundraise half a million at the moment so we can provide that urgent support for schools not the whole like with the government it's very much like long-term funding long-term funding but we are looking at short-term funding here and now because mm. schools schools colleges university university we haven't even talked about universities really need it right now wow yeah and 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 there's this expectation as well of like that's it right pandemic's over everyone go back to the way it was for some people it's not going to be that easy it's not going to be like that and we know that already lots of we don't know the exact numbers but we know lots of children didn't return to school Mm. after the pandemic we know anxiety is a massive issue things like agoraphobia where young people are too they're too anxious to leave the house and schools colleges universities don't know what to do with these young people and they're just being left they're just being forgotten about and again it's just very it's very frustrating there's this you know the i could talk for hours about the academic catch-up plan that the government have, have produced and the Again, the pressure on, on young people and, and teachers. And yeah, I, I do worry about that. I really worry about that, to be honest. It sounds like you're in the ideal position, though, to try and try and do something to help. And I know it, can, it must feel quite daunting on occasions when you see there's so much work to do and you can only scratch the, the little the surface that you're in control of and what the charity is focused on. How do, how do you deal with that? Because you've talked a lot about those big problems. And I think a lot of people in in charities who work in this sector deal with the same thing you know they're talking to beneficiaries daily but that problem never quite goes away you know you might raise yeah. enough money to address a, a certain appeal but there's mm. always something else how, how do you deal with that person oh it's it's tough i'm not gonna lie it's, it, it can be really tough i mean um yeah but especially when you hear you know it comes to mental health you often hear 
heartbreaking story after heartbreaking story of people that can't get help and support that are declining and we often get contacted by families a lot of families who say my child is struggling my child won't get out of bed my child won't leave the house you know no one is supporting them no one is supporting me as a parent it's 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 really really hard and it's getting worse and what we find with a, with our charity is that um we're all about collaboration so maybe if we can't support young person in fact we can refer that we're so lucky again that we through the mental health festival that we did for schools and colleges earlier this year we managed to create this network of mental health providers mental health services mental health support all over the uk so we can refer someone to maybe there's, there's something in, in cornwall you know we don't know we can't help someone directly in, in cornwall perhaps we know a service in cornwall that can we can refer them to which is great that we can do that i think because often people especially again when it comes to mental health it's such a people don't know where to go people mm-hmm. don't know where to start teachers often are like what where the, what do i do you know cam's massive long waiting list so what do i do now and i have to give a shout out actually to, to something called the hub of hope i don't know if you know the hub of hope he should be a jake who created it should be a, a future guest 100 he's created the first national database of mental health support locally so you basically go onto the hub of hope and you type in your postcode or you click locate me and it brings up all your nearest services support wow. groups and it's amazing the nhs is using it now because people just don't know where to go and so for us it's all about collaboration as it needs mm-hmm. to be so we can you know refer people on to to this place to that place collaboration is the way forward okay jake we're coming for you we're going to email you in the morning uh, <laughs> that's a, a spoiler for the next episode i think i think johnny was one of our earliest looms you got a loom from me johnny didn't you didn't i send yeah. you a video yeah how, yeah, how did yeah. that go down look we'll see we'll get a live review here of how how looms work when approaching guests hey well i'm here so hey <laughs> that'll do <laughs> look johnny i i think it's brilliant i mean we've taken up a load of your time but just just thank you for for, for your openness for your honesty for the work that you continue to do as, as well i mean you know we've already touched on and wish you lots of luck for the future and, and look after yourself but we're not going to let you go quite yet because we have some quick fire questions that we Maybe. put in at the end so james do you want to crack on with the first one yeah so these are standard questions that we ask every guest, although the first one is quite apt for you. But if you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? Well, um, I think, you know, I'd, I'd very much say you will you will get through it. You can get through it and um, you will come out the other side. Yeah, because, yeah, I never believed I would. And so if I could go back, I would certainly say that to my 20 year old self because you needed to hear that yeah nice absolutely this one might be a little bit more straightforward can you tell us about one life hack a productivity tool a habit or a skill or something that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about oh wow that's that's a that's a tough one actually Uh, so for me actually so i think for me it's been um turning off the red notifications on my phone you know, like the WhatsApp number or the email oh. because red is a red is not a good. It's a warning sign for the brain. It's red is a sort of danger sign for our stress levels. Is yeah, turn them off. Oh. How Kenneth do you do just, that? You need to tell me how to do that. Kenneth is just showing us 15,000 15, oh. emails already. That's making my stress levels go through <laughs> the right. roof. How do you do it? You've got to tell us now. We need the, the oh, you. That's quite a hard one to find, I guess. But it must. No, it's it's not, just go to your notifications and turn off all the um, 
uh, the number uh, they, uh, in your phone, you'll be able to see all the number things, all the numbers basically. But you know, it really does. It's meant to uh, reduce stress, you know, because yeah. as I said, red is a warning sign for the brain. And if you turn those notifications off, I've noticed my stress levels have gone down considerably when I look at my phone. I don't yeah. get that panic that I used to get. So yeah. try it. Go on, James. Last one. Uh, final question for you. As a podcast that is focused around people doing more good, uh, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual you've met on your journey who has done something good for others? Oh my gosh, I've met so many inspiring individuals. I think for me, it's about, there's a few people that have started putting notices on bridges, you know, really positive messages on bridges. So bridges such as the one that I went to when I wasn't well, there's massive battles with the council to get like proper signs up if someone is struggling. It's ridiculous. The council's anyway, that's a whole other story. So people, members of the public have taken it upon themselves to put like hopeful messages out there on the bridges to try and stop people jumping off. And it's, it's worked in some cases. Some people have reported back, like I saw that message and do you know what? I, I, I yeah, I had a different thought and I, I decided not to go through with it. I went back just because of those messages. I just love the fact that you know, people are taking it into their own hands to try and prevent suicide because we've all got, I mean, we've all got a responsibility kind of, we can all, as you hear from my story, we can all prevent suicides and we all have to and need to. So there's been some amazing examples of people, as I say, taking things into their own hands and, you That's know, nice. putting these signs up that, that literally stop people from, from jumping. It's, it's purely for the for the person reading it as well there's no personal gain from that you don't you know i guess talk about what you did or what you raised or what you yeah lovely you'll never know you'll never know the impact that you you made you made by putting all those notices out on the bridges you'll never know Mm. you know it's amazing yeah that's cool that's a nice Nice. that's a nice note to wrap it on johnny would just say thank you again really appreciate your time it's been great james any final thoughts um just just to say let's not put a lovely bow on it thank you for being so authentic and and uh and sharing your story so far really appreciate it yeah thank you, cool. thank you. all things. right uh, johnny is there any any if anyone wants to get in touch or find out more about the organization where can they go just yeah come onto our website uh we are beyonds.org.uk and yeah get involved we, we uh we're always looking for people if, if they have experience working with young people schools colleges universities they need people to come in and support young people their teachers so if you've got any background experience we've got a directory that you can sign up to so please get involved brilliant let's wrap it up there See you both soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. 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 Just before we go, can we ask a favour? If you've enjoyed this episode and you've made it this far after all, and you want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.